you have a Bible either in print like I do or you have a digital copy of a Bible on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book, the Bible. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Revelation chapter 20. Today I want to talk to you about what I believe is the most awful, the most terrifying, the most horrific, the most frightening event that will ever take place in human history. And what makes it worse is that this event could be avoided. Now the event I'm talking about is the great white throne judgment, the final judgment of the unrepentant. John MacArthur calls this passage the most serious, the most sobering, uh, the most tragic passage in the entire Bible. But before we get into this passage, I want us to review what we have been learning for the last six months as we've journeyed through the book of Revelation. We discovered that, that this period that we're looking at in the book of Revelation begins with an event that, that we call the rapture. The Bible describes it this way. It, it says that the Lord himself will come in the clouds and the dead in Christ will rise and those who remain, the believers in Christ who are alive, will meet him in the air and, and they will be with the Lord forever. There's coming a day when, when Jesus is going to come back and those who have placed their faith and their trust in him are going to be snatched up out of this earth. Now we believe that, that this event called the rapture will, will usher us into a period that is called the tribulation. But I want to be honest with you, there are some who don't believe that. There are people who believe the Bible is God's word. They love Jesus as much as I do, and, and yet they believe that, that the church is going to go through at least some or maybe all of the tribulation. And I would say to that, I don't believe that's true. I hope that's not true. I pray that's not true. But I would say to you, you better be prepared if that's true. Because the Bible does say that the godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. For you and I to think that just because we're followers of Jesus, we're going to be somehow inoculated from the problems and the pains and the persecution that believers face all around the world, then we are deadly mistaken. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be ready for whatever comes our way. But I believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation, and here's why. The book of Revelation calls the tribulation the wrath of the Lamb. That word wrath is the explosive anger. The tribulation is the explosive anger of God on a sinful, rebellious unrepentant people 
And beginning in chapter 6 of Revelation, we see this tribulation period, seven years of God pouring out his wrath upon people who have refused to repent. It begins with the seal judgments. The Antichrist comes on the scene. There are wars and violence all over the world. There's famine and inflation like never before in the history of the world. And plagues overcome the people of earth. And by the time that the sealed judgments are over, one-fourth, 25% of the people on the planet have died. 25%. But it gets worse. The sealed judgments open up the trumpet judgments. And when the trumpet judgments come, we see that natural disasters intensify. But not only do we see natural disasters, God allows demonic powers to be unleashed upon the world. And they torment the people of the world. And by the time the trumpet judgments are over, another one-third, 33%. Of the people who live on the planet have died. 25% in the first judgment, 33% in this judgment. But it gets worse. The trumpet judgments unleash the bowl judgments. The most intense judgments that this world has ever seen. And they culminate with the second coming of Christ. Where Jesus comes back to earth, he conquers the Antichrist, the false prophet, and he sets up his kingdom. We talked about that kingdom last week. We call it the millennial reign. Jesus will rule on earth for a thousand years. And we will rule with him. Those of us who know him, who have followed him, who have been born by his spirit. Satan will be chained. He will be bound, he will be cast into the abyss, the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He will not be here to tempt or torment. And for a thousand years there will be peace, prosperity, and long life on planet earth. Righteousness and justice will finally rule. But we discovered last week that at the end of the thousand years, Satan is unleashed one last time and you ask why well the answer I gave last week is is to show the sinfulness of the human heart because man has lived in a utopia heaven on earth under the rule of Lord Jesus for a thousand years every need has been met there is peace there's prosperity it's a perfect world order But when given the chance, sinful man with a sinful heart will rebel against God. God puts down the rebellion. He casts Satan and his demons into the lake of fire. And that takes us to verse 11. The passage I want us to focus on this morning. The great white throne judgment. And the first thing we see in this passage is this unrepentant man will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ 
listen to what it says in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth, the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I want you to first notice the throne, the, the great white throne. It's great telling us that this is the place of ultimate authority. This is the place of final authority. It is white, representing the purity, the integrity of the judgments that come out of this throne. No one, no one will be able to argue with the rulings that are made from this throne. Now today, there are many people who are trying to live as if they are on the throne, but they aren't. They may think they are. They may think that they can determine what is right and wrong. They may think that they can do what they want without consequence because they believe that they are the king of their own castle. They are the one who is sitting on the throne, but they're not. So who is on the throne? Though this passage doesn't clearly give us his name, it's obvious that the one who is on this throne is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Other passages make this clear. Romans chapter 2 says, and this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Acts 17 verse 31, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. John 5, 22, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge. Think about it. The one who has been rejected is now the judge. He is the one sitting on the throne. The same Jesus that we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is Jesus seated as judge. He will be on the throne. The Word, the one who was with the Father from the very beginning, the one who took on the weakness of flesh and blood so that he could pay for our sins, he is the one who will be on the throne. The Lamb, the sinless Son of God, the one who knew no sin but became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. He is the one who is seated on the throne. The good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, he's the one on the throne. The door who provides a way for our entrance into the kingdom of God, he is the one on the throne. And one day, every single one of us will stand before him either as Savior or as judge. But I want to remind you that this judgment isn't for everyone. Though everyone will be judged, this judgment isn't for everyone. This judgment is for the unrepentant. Those who have rejected God, those who have refused to receive his grace and mercy, those who have been unwilling to turn from their sin and their rebellion. Revelation 9 says, but the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. 
They continued to worship demons and idols, and they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In Romans 16, it says, everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all of these plagues, but they did not repent of their sin and turn to God and give him glory. They cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores, but they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Don't miss that. They did not repent. They refused to repent and give glory to God. Instead, the Bible says that they cursed God. Peter said in 2 Peter that the Lord isn't being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. In the book of Acts, it says, repent and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out. Repentance is is the forgotten part of salvation. But I want you to listen very carefully. You will be judged at the great white throne judgment unless you repent. You can believe. You can know everything about Jesus and still be lost. The Bible tells us that the devils believe and even tremble in his presence unless our belief is coupled with repentance it will never save but what is repentance well it's not just feeling sorry for your sins I believe with all my heart that if you're saved you feel sorry for your sins when you come under conviction I believe there is a holy remorse that comes into our life. But repentance is more than that. Repentance is a change of mind that results from us realizing who God is and who we are. It involves humbling ourselves before God, acknowledging that He is God and we are not. It involves turning from doing things our way and surrendering our life to His way. The unrepentant may think they can avoid disappointment. They may choose to believe they will never have to stand before this judgment. But understand, everyone who has rejected God's love and rule will one day stand before Him and give an account of their life. The choices that they have made. Listen, this final judgment is for everyone who hasn't repented. It's for those who deny His existence. They will stand before Him and see Him face to face. It's for those who defame His name and, and use it as a common curse word, but, but on this day they will bow before Him. It's for those who have determined to remove Him from the public square and demand that He is silenced, but they will hear His ruling on this day. It's for those who seek to dethrone him as the ruler of their life. And, and finally, they will realize who truly sits on the throne. 
is for those who have denied the truth of his word and seek to replace it with what they believe is their own truth. But now they will be judged by the truth. It's for those who declare him to be something that he is not. But on this day, they will see him for what he really is. All the unrepentant will be there. Everyone who has ever lived and yet refused to repent will turn and turn from sin and trust him will be there. No one will be able to hide. The Bible tells us that the earth and the sky fled from his presence. There's no place to run. There's no place to hide. You see, unrepentant man will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day. But there's a second truth we need to see here, and that's this. Unrepentant man will be judged according to his own works. Unrepentant man will be judged according to his own works. Listen to what it says in verses 12 and 13. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. And let me remind you, this is the second resurrection. Everyone who has already been saved, we discovered last week, has already been resurrected in the first resurrection. Only those who have rejected God's grace and rule in their lives, the unrepentant, will be here. Those who have refused to bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, the bodies of the unrepentant will be joined with their souls and they will stand before a holy God. One's body may have been cremated and and the ashes scattered all over the earth. But on this day, those ashes will come back together. Bones will form. Flesh will appear. And those people will stand before the Lord Jesus. They may have been beheaded and the head buried in one place and the body buried in another place. But on this day, the head and the body will be rejoined. And flesh will come onto those bones and they will stand before Jesus. They may have been buried in a common grave with a host of other people, but, but God knows what bone goes with what person. And on this day, Every bone will be put back in its proper place. Flesh will come to those bones, and the people will stand before Jesus. Understand, death is not the end for anyone. Death can't keep anyone from this appointment. Can you imagine how it will be? Standing before the one who died on the cross. They will see the scars in his hands and in his feet. I believe they will see the scar where he was pierced by that sword in his side. I believe they will see the scars that are all over his body, not just his back, from the beatings he took with with clubs and with whips. And if they never knew before, in this moment, 
they will know that God loves them. And then it says the small and the great will be there. Both the bank robber and the petty thief. The mass murderer that everyone has read about in the headlines and the hit and run driver that no one knows about. The wolf of Wall Street and the crook on the bad street, they will all be there. No one will be too important that they are able to get out of this appointment and no one will be too insignificant that they are overlooked from this appointment. The educated and the uneducated, the healthy and the feeble, the rich and the poor, they will all be there. Heads of state, politicians, famous entertainers, religious leaders, beggars, homeless people and all in between, they will be there. There'll be pro-life people there. There'll be pro-abortion people there. There will be people for gay marriage there. There will be people for traditional marriage there. There'll be Christian nationalists there. There will be people who march with Antifa there. They will all be there. Self-sufficient will be there. The person who didn't see their need for Jesus. They had everything they needed or so they thought. This person may not have been a particularly bad person. They just didn't see their need for a Savior to die for their sins. The godless will be there. The person has despised the things of God. They thought the biblical concepts of morality were, were outdated and no longer relevant. They'll be there. The procrastinator will be there. The person who believes the facts about Jesus with their head and, and they say, one day I'm going to give my life to Jesus. One day, but not today. And they wait too late. They're going to be there. There'll be a lot of church members there. Think about it. Think, think how many members we have here at Northside who hardly ever or never attend. Did you know we have close to 4,000 members at our church? I don't know who some of them are. The reality is some of them truly may be dead right now. Just don't know. Because they joined our church at some point, maybe as a six-year-old kid, because their parents told them they needed to make a decision, or maybe for some other reason they joined at some time, but they became an adult, and they left the church, and they've never been back. Let me ask you a question. Do you think you can despise the things that Jesus gave his life for and really be saved? Jesus died for the church. Jesus died for his bride, the body of Christ. And you think that just because your name is on a church roll, you think just because you've gone through some ritualistic motion at some time in the past, you've got a ticket stamp for heaven, you are going to be surprised. But there are going to be other church members there who are very active, who came regularly, who give generously, who serve faithfully. So, hey, well, how will they be there? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said on that day, some will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? 
Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do many other wonderful things? And yet Jesus will say, depart from me. That's a pretty impressive list, I have to admit. Prophesy? Cast out demons? Probably very few of us have ever done that in this room. Many other wonderful things? And yet I will say to them, I never knew you. And then there will be those who have held on to cheap grace. You've uttered a prayer sometime in the past, and you think because you've uttered this prayer, you're going to go to heaven. But I want you to listen to what the Bible says about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery with male prostitutes or practice homosexual or thieves or greedy or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like this. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There are some of you who have prayed a prayer in the past, but you are still caught up in sin and you have no desire to turn from that sin. And I'm here to tell you today, you're lost. And you need to repent and turn to God. You see, we as believers, we can struggle with sin. But if we're saved, we have a desire to live for Jesus. We want to do the right thing, the pure thing, the holy thing, the godly thing. And though we may stumble, the Bible tells us that. And like the song says, we're prone to wander. And yes, we are. But if we're saved, the Holy Spirit has changed us from the inside out. And we don't want to live in sin. So if you're caught up in sin and you're saying, well, I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I give a lot of money. I'm here to tell you, repent. Because you're headed for the great white throne judgment. The Bible says here that we will be judged according to what we have done, our, our deeds. You see, we can either be judged according to what Jesus has done. That's grace. Or we can be judged according to what we have done. That's justice. There are those who have chosen to stand before God on their own accord. And understand if we're at the great white throne judgment, the offer of grace is off the table. Because it's been rejected too long. John tells us here that the books, plural, were open and Then another book was opened, the book of life. Now, I believe that at least three books are going to be opened at this great white throne judgment. The first book is the book of our life, our biography, the story, our story, from the moment of our birth to the moment of our death. And hear me, nothing will be left out. No deed will be left out. No word will be left out. 
No thought will be left out. God will even judge our attitudes, our thoughts, the intents of our heart, our motivations. And the Bible says every secret thing will be exposed. You're here today and you have secrets. You, 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 may, you may have pornography on your phone or on your computer and you say no one knows about it. Trust me, it will come out on that day. You've cheated on your spouse and you think you've covered it up. You haven't. It's going to come out. took some money from the company you worked for. It was just a little bit, but it was enough to tide you over because things were tough. You stole. Did you think nobody knew? It will come out. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So the book of our life, everything is seen. Everything. And then I believe the second book is the book of the law. The Bible, God's holy word. And God will simply open up his word to reveal how we are supposed to live. I imagine he will open up the Ten Commandments. He may start with the first one, you shall have no other gods before you, and you think you're good there. I've not carved an image of wood or stone or, or gold, but then he'll show you the idols in your life, your spouse, your children, your career, your hobby. Anything and everything that has taken precedence in your life over the Lord God, it's an idol. He may go to, you shall not commit adultery, and you think you're okay there. You've never done that, but then he'll turn over to Matthew 5, and the words of Jesus come out where it says, if you have lust in your heart, you're already guilty. He, He may turn to, Thou shalt not kill, and you go, well, at least on this one I'm okay. Again, we turn over to Matthew where it says, if you've had anger in your heart towards someone or you've called someone a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Maybe he'll turn to Malachi 3 where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Maybe he will turn to passages on, on adultery, on fornication on homosexuality maybe he will turn to passages on the sanctity of marriage and how we are to keep our marriage vow and how divorce is something God hates and we realize that we didn't do everything we could to save our marriage we walked away and we didn't have biblical grounds He may turn to the passage that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together with other believers and you look down at that one. 
Many of us know these passages. We've heard them preached. We've read them ourselves. But somehow, someway, we've convinced ourselves that they don't apply to us. But God will use them on this day. And then I believe he will, in his word, the Bible, go through the story of grace. Beginning in Genesis, he will show us how God has a plan for redemption. And how it was freely offered to each and every one of us. And you'll show us how we could have been saved. And then you'll open up the final book. The book of life. And you'll search through that book. He'll take the time. And you'll come to the place where your name could be, should be. But it's not. Because you've never repented. You've never seen God for who He is. You've seen yourself for who you are, turning from sin and trusting Him. And He will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You see, every one of us has a choice. We can have a free pardon or we can have a fair trial. It's up to us. But if you have a fair trial and you are judged by your life, you have to meet the standard of perfection. And only one man has ever done that and his name is Jesus. You will never measure up. Finally, we see the consequences of our choice. And that is this, unrepentant man will spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. Uh, listen to verses 14 and 15. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death and everyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There are no appeals, there's no paroles, there's no second chances. If your name is not found in the book of life, you have no hope. And everyone at this judgment has no hope. Your name won't be found in that book. And you're going to receive the same fate as Satan. Everyone. Everyone whose name is not written in the book of life, is cast into the lake of fire. Think about that for a minute. The lake of fire. The only, the only thing that I can visualize in my mind, the lake of fire, is a sea, an ocean of molten lava. Anything that hits molten lava is burned up immediately, but not so in the lake of fire. You have this sea of molten lava, this lake of fire that burns forever, but it never burns up. You may say, Rocky, I don't believe in a literal hell, a literal lake of fire. Well, believe what you may. Jesus believed in the lake of fire. He taught on it. 
he told a story about a real man, Lazarus, and a rich man, and the rich man ended up in the lake of fire. The Bible teaches it. The lake of fire is real. And the most vivid, the most awful picture that you could paint in your mind will not compare to how bad it will actually be. It's not only a lake of fire. The Bible says that it's a place of outer darkness. The Bible says it's a place of separation from God and other people. We will be alone. The Bible says it's a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, utter torment forever and ever and ever. And some of you may be sitting here saying, well, how could a good, loving God ever send anyone to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves to hell by rejecting the grace and the mercy that is given by God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ. Our problem today is we don't realize how heinous our sin is to a holy God. Everyone whose name's not written in that book, who hasn't repented, is cast into the lake of fire. And so I ask you, have you repented? Have you turned from sin, trusting Christ alone to save you, surrendering your life to his control. I'm here to tell you, listen, if you've done that, your life is different. Your life is different. God's spirit is living in you. You've been born again. You've been changed from the inside out. And so I ask again, have you repented? Turned from sin, saying, I'm not, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to be my own ruler. I don't want to call my own shots. I don't want to live by the standards of this world. I want Jesus more than anything. Have you repented? Because if you haven't, one day you're going to appear before the great white throne judgment. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, please, please, if you're here and you've never truly turned from sin, trusting Jesus to save you, surrendering your entire life to Him, then I beg you today, don't let pride, don't let fear, don't let the momentary pleasure of your sin keep you from repenting, trusting Jesus, and giving your life to Him today. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. Let Him. If you're here and you say, Rocky, I need Jesus. 
I want to give him my life today. I want to turn from sin and self-rule and I want Jesus to come in and make me brand new. If you're ready to do that, then I encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today admitting my sin. I've been living my way. I've been playing a game. I've been acting as if I were on the throne. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, placing my trust in you, I'm giving you my life, everything, every piece of my life, my relationships, my finances, my, my sex life, I'm giving it all to you right now, it's yours, and I, I want to follow you, come into my heart, fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new, I pray.